And I can hardly believe it myself when I hear me say, turn to 1 Corinthians 16. What a wonderful book this has been, full of uh, tremendous challenges. And uh, we look forward this morning to hearing uh, from God's Word to see what He has to say for us as a church. We'll read verses 1 through 7. Here is the infallible, inspired, inert Word of God. The Apostle says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. Let's ask for his help to understand. Heavenly Father, grant that we may be preserved in obedience to you by the teaching of your word, and that we may steadfastly continue in the pure worship which you have prescribed in your word. And all this will come as you teach us through your book. And so, Jesus, we pray, send forth your Holy Spirit in abundance, that you would open up our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things in your law. Hear us for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we have the privilege of talking about what is perhaps one of the more sensitive and contentious topics in the Bible. And that is giving. That is the matter of Christian giving. And uh, perhaps one reason why it is so contentious and sensitive is because uh, there's a tremendous amount of disagreement about what is Christian giving. Uh, There are those who uh, absolutely are adamant about the fact that Christians are obligated to tithe. That means to give 10% of all of your income to the church. Well, there are also others who say, no, that's not at all the case. We're under the new covenant. We're in the position of Christian liberty. And there is no prescribed amount. So you have tension and sensitivity on that particular issue. But then you have the other issue, which is always in the backdrop. Whenever you talk about money, is that it always makes people feel a little bit uncomfortable. But one of the joys, as well as the pitfalls in expositional preaching is that when you preach through God's Word, book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, by the grace of God, you are going to be led into deep waters, and you are going to be led to be challenged, and you are going to be led to think about, and uh, work your way through complicated, sensitive, contentious, sometimes, issues. And so this morning, with that in mind, we come to chapter 16, and what the Apostle tells us about Christian giving. And uh, I want to begin by framing in Paul's remarks here about this collection for the saints with some background information that I think uh, will really help us understand this principle of Christian giving. And I'll just tell you up front, it may feel a little bit like overkill that I spend so much time giving you so much background information. 
But as I thought about this in the preparation of the message this past week, uh, I thought it was, it was wise and it was prudent to take plenty of time to color in uh, this background information so we're very clear what the Apostle Paul is addressing here in 1 Corinthians 16. And then once we've gotten our hands on that, then we'll be able to say, here are the real principles which emerge for God's people when it comes down to this matter of giving to the church for the support of the ministry and the maintenance of the poor. So we begin, first of all, by noticing the timing or the context of this particular uh, reference to the collection of the saints. You see the timing or the context signaled in verse 8. We didn't read that this morning. We're going to come back to it next week. But the Apostle Paul says, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. There is part of the beginning of piecing together the, the time frame of this particular reference to the collection. Paul is writing to the Corinthians from Ephesus. Now, if you look back to verses 5 and 6, you can see that the Apostle Paul stakes out his travel itinerary. He anticipates leaving Ephesus soon. He says, rather, that he is going to be passing through Macedonia. And then once he passes through Macedonia, he's going to come down to Corinth. And he says, my intention is to spend quite a bit of time there with you. And then he says in verse 6, you're going to send me off. Well, that tells you now the Apostle Paul is writing from Ephesus. He plans to go to Macedonia. He's going to come down to Corinth. And then he has somewhere else in mind to go to. Well, as you compare that over against Acts chapter 20, you begin to realize this is toward the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Because Acts chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and of course the rest of the chapter, sort of fill us in on what's happening in the Apostle Paul's life. In Acts chapter 20, we find out in the very first verse that the end of the Apostles' ministry in Ephesus uh, comes to a very traumatic and climactic conclusion uh, with a riot. And he is basically forced out of town after three years of ministry. And wouldn't you know it, that as soon as he leaves Ephesus, he goes into Macedonia. And then if you just sort of trace out the rest of the chapter, you'll see he goes from there, from Macedonia. Then he goes to Corinth. Then he goes up into Asia Minor. And he eventually ends up in Jerusalem, dropping off an offering. Now... Take all that information and compare it back over to 1 Corinthians 16, and you can see this collection for the saints has to refer to that offering that he drops off in Jerusalem. It's described in Acts chapter 20 and then on Acts 21. So if you want to turn with me over to Romans chapter 15, you can get a little bit more insight into this offering. And as I said, these are all details that I I want to color in as backdrops so that we can really grasp hold of how 1 Corinthians 16 teaches us about the matter of Christian uh, giving. Uh, Here the Apostle Paul explains uh, what is so unique about this particular offering or this collection for the saints. He says in verse 25 of Romans chapter 15, Now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. And then verse 26, From Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. There you go. That is the precise collection for the saints that Paul references in 1 Corinthians 16.1. He simply doesn't mention that the collection is for the poor, Saints who are in Jerusalem. 
But that's precisely who it's for. The Apostle Paul has somehow caught wind of the fact that the Jerusalem church is struggling mightily. And the fact of the matter is that the Jerusalem church took a very decisive and bold stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remember that, of course, Peter preaches that initial Pentecost sermon there in Acts chapter 2, and thousands come to Christ. And just as soon as thousands come to Christ, just as soon as the preaching of the word is ringing in the ears of the people of Jerusalem, what happens? The church is riddled with violent persecution. And if you look at it, the story of the Jerusalem church is one trial after another, and they experience tremendous economic deprivation and hard times. And in order to meet that then, we remember, of course, in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Acts, that the people who had money and the people who had possessions sold everything off, and they brought it to the feet of the apostles and had the wealth redistributed to the members of the church who were in need. And a lot of scholars feel that one reason why uh, the Jerusalem church is in such hard economic times is because now, after all of that generous giving, after all of that generous sacrificing, none of the Christians in Jerusalem have any material wealth built up at all anymore. It's all been used up. And the church had a lot of needs. They had a tremendous, huge, thriving diaconal ministry to the widows, for instance. Acts chapter 6, you can read about that. They also experienced a terrible famine in Jerusalem. We're told about that in Acts 11. So they've taken a stand for the gospel. They've taken a stand for Jesus Christ. They've left the traditions. They've left the synagogue. They've left a life that is entirely familiar to them and that has been meted not with prosperity, but persecution. And all the while, this is the beautiful example of the Jerusalem church, all the while they were meeting this persecution, they not only persevered in Christ, but they sent missionaries out from Jerusalem to preach the gospel. And so that's going to help us explain then what the Apostle Paul goes on to say here in Romans chapter 15. He says this offering is from Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia means Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and so forth. And Achaia is simply a reference to Corinthians. Because Corinth is the capital of Achaia. So it's the same offering that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says, now I have this offering, I'm taking it to Jerusalem. And then verse 27 tells you why. They were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them in material things. And there you receive the reason why these churches were so willing to pry open their wallets and give to the poor saints who were in Jerusalem. We're going to come back to this point in a while, but here is the point. These particular Christians in Macedonia and Achaia were not giving out of compulsion or out of a requirement or of a particular legal stipulation which says you have to give 10% of your income to the church. These Gentiles were generously opening up their wallet and their bank accounts to give to the poor who were in Jerusalem because they said it's from you that we receive the gospel. It's because of your steadfast devotion to Christ. It's because you didn't cripple and buckle under and give up and turn away from Jesus in all of those hard times and persecutions and trials. You kept persevering in the gospel. You kept preaching the gospel. You kept on sending missionaries out with the gospel. And the result of this is that these Gentile churches have been formed. 
and that people have been converted to Jesus Christ. And so these people who have been uh, the recipients of tremendous spiritual blessing through the gospel now want to give back. And so they begin to give. All of that is in the backdrop. If you come back to 1 Corinthians 16, that's what the Apostle is speaking of here when he talks about this collection for the saints. But there's uh, one other item that I think we need to have uh, fresh in our thinking before we can begin to evaluate how this particular appeal for Christian giving applies to us as members of the New Covenant. And that is we need to compare it over against the whole Old Testament concept of tithing. Now, if you've been in the church very long, you have no doubt heard of tithing. Uh, The Hebrew word literally means tenth. And so uh, you'll often hear in many churches that this is the requirement for Christian giving, that you figure up what your gross income is, or your income after taxes and taking out retirement, all this stuff. Whatever that is, you're told, figure it up on a calculator and come up with one-tenth. And that concept comes from, at least in part, the Old Testament commands to tithe. Now, all I want to focus on this morning is the legal statutes concerning tithing. And if you go back to the Old Testament, you go back to the law, you'll find out that there are three different tithes that were, um, that were required of Israel. And the first tithe that was required of Israel was a flat 10% tithe based upon their flocks and their produce. And God commanded uh, the saints of the Old Testament... Uh, in Numbers 18 and Leviticus 27, that they were to give to the church, or rather to the priests who ministered in the temple, a tenth of all their produce and their flocks. Now, if a farmer or a rancher didn't want to give 10% of their flocks or their produce uh, to the priests who ministered in the tabernacle and in the temple, well, God had a provision. That is, you would sell the crops or sell the produce and tack on 20% to that. So it wasn't a very good deal. If you weren't going to give your actual flocks and produce, God laid a 20% tax on you on top of the 10%. The point I want to get across here is that God first of all says there's going to be one tithe that you're to give and that is for the maintenance of the priesthood and the temple ministry and that is one-tenth of your flocks and your produce. Now the second tithe that was binding upon Israel is that every three years they were to give a tithe to the poor. All of the poor who were within uh, Israel and to the strangers and the aliens, they were to receive a tithe from all of God's people. You can find out about that particular tithe in Deuteronomy chapter 14, 28 and 29. That was done every three years. And then there was a third tithe that was imposed upon Israel. And that was a tithe to set apart 10% of the produce and 10% of the flocks for the festivals of the religious calendar. Now here's the thing. I'm not really good at math, but if there's one tithe for 10%, There's a second tithe for 10%, and then there's every three years another tithe for 10%. If I just would calculate that up, how much is it? 
Well, it's 23% of your income. It's not 10%. Now, it's only fair to mention that because a lot of people who talk about this principle of tithing need to come to terms with the fact that it's not tithing. It's, it's two times in a tithing, really. It's, it's literally 23% of your income. And there were other taxes hidden in this as well. There was a political tax that you can find in other places of the Old Testament. And there was also the tax on, uh, on uh, farmers who were to give or allow the corners of their fields not to be harvested so that the poor could come through there and glean. So if you add it all up, a good 30 to 35% of their income was taken up by giving to these various prescribed tithes. The other thing that I want us to be clear about when we think through this is that the tithes always consisted of produce and animals. They were not monetary tithes. They were produce and animals. And so if you're going to argue that tithing is an obligation upon the saints under the new covenant, you're going to have to say that all the saints are going to have to become ranchers and farmers. Because that's the only way you could literally fulfill the prescribed Tithe. It had to be produce and animals. Now, I said that I debated about bringing all this information in. You might say, well, so what? What does that have to do with 1 Corinthians 16? Well, I think it's very important because here's why. Too often what you'll find is that when New Testament passages talk about Christian giving, here's the mentality. It's to go to the Old Testament, fill up the truck, and then back it up to the text and unload everything on it. And say, see, it's just saying the same thing that was said in the Old Testament. But if you look very carefully at 1 Corinthians 16, you'll find that's not, a, that's not at all what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And if you went and evaluated the rest of these texts about giving in the letters of the New Testament, you'll find that they don't use Old Testament categories or concepts. If, for instance, you read through 1 Corinthians 16, 1-7, you'll find that the word tithe, or 10%, is not used anywhere in this passage. You will also find that Paul nowhere speaks of giving crops or animals. Think about that. The Apostle Paul is collecting uh, this gift for the Jerusalem saints. And uh, the people that he's collecting it from live in Ephesus. And they live in uh, Thessalonica. And they live in Corinth. Which uh, by sea, which is the only way Paul could make that journey at this time, was a 50, day, 50 to 60 day journey in a sailboat. Now think of how impossible it would be that the Apostle Paul had rounded up a bunch of produce and, and cattle and was taking them to Jerusalem. It's just not what's happening. These people weren't uh, preliminary, uh, primarily uh, farmers and, and ranchers anyway. They were businessmen. And so what Paul is doing here is he's collecting a monetary gift. He's collecting a monetary gift. And he's taking that monetary gift to the poor saints who are in Jerusalem. Well, that brings us now to uh, try to address the issue about the tithe. And the first thing that I'm going to argue here is that the Apostle Paul is not commanding, nor is he even suggesting or hinting, that there is an obligation upon believers under the new covenant to tithe. It's not in the passage. The word's not in the passage. The concept is not in the passage. And we have to understand the whole issue of a tithe, uh, after all, in relationship to the whole Old Testament system of worship. 
The tithes were given to sustain and to maintain what? The priesthood. The temple. Well, once that's passed away, we're dealing with very different issues. But once there is a change in the priesthood, once there is a change in the worship, there's going to be a change in the law. That's exactly what the preacher says in Hebrews chapter 9. And so when we hear this word about collection here this morning, people of God, and I'm going to get into principles of Christian giving in a moment, we can't hear this as tithe, because if we do, it's going to mess up entirely Paul's very specific instructions about Christian giving. Tithe is not commanded. It's not referenced in the passage. It's not in the concepts or imagery or language of the Apostle Paul. And it's not spoken of anywhere else in the New Testament. You'll search the New Testament in vain in the epistles, the letters of the apostles, for any reference to tithing, to giving 10%, or the Old uh, Testament standard of 23% at a minimum. And so you're going to say to me, well, Pastor John, it sounds to me like you're saying we don't have to take up an offering anymore. So why do we have it? Well, I'm not arguing that. I'm arguing a very narrow point that it's not a tithe. It's not a 10%. It's not a prescribed, fixed number that we can all come to and say, see, there's my obligation. What I'm trying to argue is that we need to understand the responsibility and the obligation of Christian giving in light of the pattern of the Old Testament. And I'll tell you what, the pattern of the Old Testament is that the saints give out of gratitude. Acts chapter 2, if you go back there, you have a a snapshot of the early church gathered for worship. Acts 2.42, and you find out four things that the early church was dedicated to. We're told they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things. Immediately after these Christians were, uh, these Jews were converted and brought to Christ, uh, the, uh, the writer of the Acts says, here's what this Christian community looked like. They were constantly gathering together for worship to, to receive instruction in the faith from the apostles. And then you come across that phrase, they gathered together for fellowship. And everybody goes, oh, well they were having coffee and donuts every Sunday after church. And they were having potluck. Oh, the only problem with that interpretation is it's not in the passage. The word there for fellowship, koinonia, is repeatedly used throughout the New Testament to refer to what? Christian giving. It is almost never used to refer to the saints getting together and having a potluck. In fact, you would be hard-pressed to find that. Koinonia is the, is the contributing of monetary gifts to the church for the advancement of the gospel and the care of the poor. If you look in Acts 2, verse 44, a root word of koinonia, koinos, is used there. And it says, they shared all things in common. If you study out that word in the book of Acts, you'll quickly find that what's being referenced is the believers there in Jerusalem selling their possessions and contributing the money to the poor, or rather the church, so that they could all share in what? Common. 
So you have this first pattern of Christian giving here. It emerges right out of the soil of the uh, emerging uh, New Testament church in Acts chapter 2. And one significant feature of the early group of Christians is that they were givers. They were generous givers to the church of monetary gifts. And that doesn't change if you look throughout the book of Acts. You find this pattern emerging over and over again. Acts chapter 6, you see a thriving diaconal ministry to the widowed believers in the Jerusalem church. Acts chapter 11, you see the church at Antioch has just been planted by preachers from Jerusalem. And guess what? The Christians at Antioch are generously giving monetary gifts to the Jerusalem church to sustain them. You find all kinds of exhortations about generous giving. You find all kinds of exhortations about the duty of supporting the ministry of the Word in the church. The Apostle Paul talks about his right to a sharing in the financial gifts of the church. Galatians chapter 6, 6, uh, members of the church are instructed to share in all good things with those who are catechizing in the faith. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.18 that the elder who preaches... And teaches well is worthy of double honor. That is double compensation. All across the New Testament what you find is this pattern of Christians giving and the compensation going to the pastors and to the poor. That, that's just, it's, it's all over the New Testament. Well, the instructions here about collecting for the saints in 1 Corinthians 16 fit right in with that then. They fit in with this broad stream of testimony about early Christians giving financial gifts to the church for the maintenance of the ministry and for the support of the poor all over the New Testament. But you never hear that being described as a tithe. I'm going to explain why that's important now as we come back to 1 Corinthians 16 and we talk about Principles of Christian giving. Principles of Christian giving. And first of all, there are uh, obligations and duties that must be fulfilled by the church. For instance, here the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church as a whole when he outlines the first duty of the church, which is to appoint times of giving. He says in verse 2, On the first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside and to save. And then he goes on to say, he wants them to do that so there will be no collections when he comes. And the whole sense of this here is that the Apostle Paul has instructed the church, and not just this, but the rest of the church he's been ministering to, that they are to appoint a time. And the time appointed for the collection is what? The first day of the week. It's the first day of the week when the church gathers together for worship. Paul is saying when the church gathers together for worship on the first day of the week, which is the Lord's Day, the duty and obligation of the church is to collect for the poor and for the maintenance of the ministry. And this business of the church meeting together on the first day of the week is is confirmed by Acts chapter 20, verse 7. The Apostle Paul talks about when he was ministering in Troas, that they gathered together on the first day of the week, to break bread. Now again, the Apostle Paul, when he uses that language, break bread is not talking about having a potluck. He's talking about communion. 
He's talking about taking the sacrament. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. And the way he says it is so casual, yet matter of fact, this is what the church does when it gathers together. It breaks bread. It observes the sacrament. He says, on the first day of the week, as was their practice, as if it was just as common, ordinary, uh, regular part of their worship. And so just as the church gathered for the sacrament, it also came and it brought gifts, financial gifts. And here, a second duty of the church is that the church is commanded to collect and to store. It's to collect and to store it up. Now, he doesn't use the reference or the word deacon here, but it's very obvious this is a reference to the duties of the deacons. To gather the offerings and to store them up. And that's what we do here in our worship. We, the deacon gets up and, and he takes the offering and, and the, the, the offering is counted and it's put in a bag and there are witnesses to make sure that, that what was collected is in that bag and then that's marched down to the bank and it's stored up. That's an obligation of the church. And so Paul says it's to be in the first day. The church is to provide for that. The second thing that the church is to do is to collect it. And the very the third thing that the church is obligated to do in the matter of Christian giving is to certify to the members of the church that that offering is secure. Look at verse 3. It says, When I arrive, whomever you may approve... I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Notice what the Apostle Paul does here. He says, you people are to find somebody who you all trust, who you all approve, who you think wouldn't steal a dime or a cent out of that offering bag if his life depended on it. This points to another obligation of the church. The saints are to have confidence that when the offering is taken up, every bit of that offering gets into the money bag and then gets deposited and stored up and is not misused at all. And the way that happens is by the church choosing trustworthy men to fulfill the office of deacon. This is an obligation. The church has to be very careful, very transparent, very open about how it takes up the offering and secures the offering. And if we're just thinking about that in terms of application this morning for our own situation, it's a very good thing to have multiple witnesses to see what is exactly in the offering bag so it can be completely verified, so that the whole process is above reproach. And it's also good for us to give out some sort of statement routinely or regularly so that people are aware of what was taken in and how the money's being spent. It's called transparency and openness. It must happen so that the church remains credible and so that people will be confident that when they give to the church, it's going precisely uh, where it's intended. But we come down now to the issue of the individual believer and giving, and this is probably where uh, we all uh, want to really tune in and to hear what God has to say to us about Christian giving. And I think the first principle, I'm just going to take four out of this text. Uh, we could go to other texts in the New Testament to uh, collect a series of principles of Christian giving. But I'm going to uh, keep here with 1 Corinthians 16 because there's plenty for us to learn here. And the first principle of Christian giving uh, is again found in verse 2 in this idea of setting aside on the first day. 
And the first principle of Christian giving that you need to be aware of and that you need to think about and you need to apply to yourself is that you are being commanded here to regularly give to the church. It is not to be hit and miss. It is not to be sporadic. It is to be something that you as an individual before the Lord think about and you come to firm conclusions about giving on a regular basis. You see, here the Apostle Paul is speaking to the individuals of the church. And he says, you are to, on the first day, set aside. And the whole concept of setting aside and storing up involves this concept of intentionality. You see, the offering is not about you uh, quickly uh, uh, searching through your pockets to see if you got any loose change or, or dollar bills. You see, that that is not at all fulfilling this command to intentionally and regularly give. It shouldn't be that you come to church and you're scrounging for pocket change so that uh, you have something to put in the offering. No, 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 no. The the, the beginning of the giving starts at home. It doesn't start when the offering is passed around here in the church. You see, there's an intentionality that goes with this. It means you have to sit down, you have to look at your budget, you have to look at your expenditures, and you have to come ready to give. Paul says on the first day, each is to set aside. They are to determine amount, they are to be intentional, they are to do it with regularity. People of God, if you've always wanted to know what your obligation is about giving, and maybe you've just heard tithing and you never got past that, here is first principle for you. You are determined to give regularly. Regularly. And to be intentional about it. The other thing here that the Apostle Paul uh, says is that it is to be done by individuals. That's the second principle. Individuals. That is, believers are to give. He says, each one of you. Now that's pretty specific. Each one of you, each one of you who receives an income, each one of you who is an adult, believing, confessing member of the church, each one of you, the Apostle Paul is saying, is to be involved in this matter of intentionally uh, determining to set aside a certain amount and to do it on a regular basis. Each is. And so what you need to do as you hear this command this morning, people of God, is to see yourself in that picture. To see yourself in the group of people who the Apostle Paul says, each one of you. There's a principle of Christian giving then. It's to be regular and it's to be of individuals. If you have a job, you're to consider seeing yourself in that. I'm obligated. Third, And this is why I spent so much time talking about the whole concept of tithe being 10% and then showing you it's really not 10%. It's really, literally 23%, if you want to be exact. Uh, But but here is where I want to challenge your thinking about Christian giving. Because Apostle Paul says, on the first day of the week, this is in verse 2 now, I hope you see this for yourself. On the first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. The third principle of Christian giving, well, you have the first one is to be regular, the second one is to be of individuals, and the third is, it's to be proportional. As he may prosper. The word literally means to be successful in gaining profit. And so here is the issue that's emerging from our passage, is the Apostle Paul is instructing the church about how they are to think of their responsibility and their obligation to give. And the Apostle says, 
It is to be proportional. Now here's the fascinating thing about the word the Apostle Paul uses. It says, as he may prosper. Bad translation. Because literally what it says in the Greek is, as he has been prospered. You hear that? It's in the passive tense. As he has been caused to prosper, if you like. Well, who causes you to prosper? Well, the clear answer is that God is the one who has given you everything that you have. Remember what James says in James chapter 1. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. You see, whatever you have in your life, you have as a gift from God. That's precisely what you need to think of here when you hear about this, as he has been caused to prosper. God is the one who has given you whatever you have. So when you sit down and you think about how you're going to give on the first day of the week, as you intentionally think through this process of Christian giving, here's the dominant question that should stand before you. How has God caused me to prosper? And the, the emphasis in, in this thought process and the reflection is to realize that whatever you have in your life is something that God has given to you. And so when you give back to the church, you're really not giving what's yours in the first place. You're giving what God gave you. See, That's the accent. You're giving as God has given to you. And so, uh, I know this is the question that you're asking as you hear this. Pastor John, just tell me how much I have to give. (laughs) Now I'm restraining myself. (laughs) Because here's the answer, and if you come up to me after church, and I bet you I'm going to get this question, how much do I have to give? And I'm going to tell you, I have no idea how much you should give. Because I don't know what your bank account looks like. I don't know how God has prospered you. I don't know what the gifts are in your life. I possibly couldn't tell you. And besides that, even if I knew, I'm not your conscience. You see, it depends on the person who says, Oh, look at what the Lord has given me. Some people could be sitting in a teeny tiny little apartment with hardly anything in their life and say... God has richly blessed me. And then another person can have all of this world's goods and be sitting there consumed with how they're going to keep it all. And they feel like they got nothing. And you say, oh, I know no Christian would think that way. But we're weak and so we do. And so here is the principle, and I'm not going to give you an amount, but I'm going to just hammer it home again. What Paul is saying here is not a tithe, not 10%, not 20%, not 23%, not 35%. He says, you give as you have been caused to prosper. I'll guarantee you every uh, gainfully employed person has a $10 bill to put in the offering plate once a week. And if you don't, I don't know how you drive to work. At least a $10 bill to put in the offering plate. I don't know what your bills are. I don't know what your other obligations are. I don't know what all that is. I just know that everybody... 
who lives in America, who has a house and a TV in it and a car to drive, that has gasoline and that has a job to go to, has a $10 bill to put in the offering. I'll guarantee that. And so here's the principle. As he has prospered. Well, some people don't have as much as others. But other people who have been given much, Paul would say to you, you give much. First, uh, First Timothy 6, 6.18 says, Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Who's them? Well, all you have to do is look at First Timothy 6.17. It's clear. It's the rich. And Paul says, the rich, then, are to be ready to be generous. That fits right back into what Paul is saying here. It's an application of the principle, as he may have prospered, or as he has been caused to prosper. If you have been given much, Paul would argue, you give much. The fourth principle of Christian giving, we've seen the first one is it's to be regular and systematic. On the first day of the week, you're determined. Second of all, uh, it is individuals who are required or are commanded to give. Third, it's as you have been caused to prosper. As is, In other words, you think about your income as something that God has given you as a gift. And you think about how much you've been caused to prosper and you give accordingly. According to your conscience. And then fourth, you do it with understanding. You give with understanding. You say, well, Pastor Sean, where do you get that principle? And I would say right here in verse 1, I bet you you'll see it here. Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints. Now remember, we colored that in by looking at Romans chapter 15. And we were told there that it was for the poor saints in Jerusalem. So that's exactly what Paul is talking about. He knows this is precisely, uh, he knows that they know what he's talking about. So this is what he's saying. Concerning this collection for the poor saints who are in Jerusalem. In other words, he's saying, when you're giving, think about the purpose for the giving. Who is it for? Well, in this case, it's for the poor. And as uh, we quickly surveyed the, the New Testament pattern of giving, it was very clear that, that there's, there's two primary purposes for giving in the New Testament. One is for the poor, and the other is for the maintenance of the ministry. And those are the two great things that the church has to think about. These are the great responsibilities of the church. Responsible to care for the poor in the body of Christ, and secondly, to maintain the ministry. So there can be the preaching of the word, there can be the administration of the sacraments, there can be the baptism uh, of God's people. And there can be the rule and the oversight and the ministry. That's what giving is for. And so what I'm saying here, as Paul says, now concerning the collection, he's saying, I want you to think about what it is you're giving for. And that's precisely the fourth principle that I want you to think about this morning. Is understand the purpose of your giving. It is to maintain the ministry of the word in the church. And it is for the support of the impoverished among God's people. And that means then that when you think about this at home, when you prepare for it at home, so it's not just about scrounging for loose change in your pocket when you come to church, when you think about all that stuff, here's what you are to think of. Not only has God caused me to prosper, but my giving is for a purpose. 
My giving is for a purpose. And that is for the maintenance of the ministry and the helping of the poor who are in the body of Christ. And that's a pretty good gauge, people of God. It's a pretty, that's a pretty good gauge to help you see what you think of church. It's a pretty good gauge to help you see what you think of church. Because if you can't even rub together a couple of $5 bills to put in the offering plate on Sunday, you pretty much say you don't value the church very much. You pretty much say you don't value the ministry of the Word that much. I realize there's extreme cases, and, and, and some, some of us here may be in those. But as a general pattern, as a general pattern, as a general principle, I would say that if you live in America, you have a job, you have a color TV in your house, and you have gasoline to put in your car, you got $5 to give towards the maintenance of the ministry. We need to think about this, people of God. Um, we are to give because, finally, of the motive. We're to give because of the motive. And, and the motive was already drawn out, and I told you we'd come back to it later. And here it is. Sometimes I tell you we're going to come back to something later in the sermon, and I completely forget about it. But not today. The motive. The motive is found for us right here in verse 27 of Romans 15. They were pleased to do so. Why were they pleased to give? Most people aren't pleased to give up anything. Whatever money they have, they want to hang on to and use it for themselves. It's very hard to find somebody who's pleased to give their money away. Well, here the Apostle Paul says they were pleased to do so. Why? Well, he gives you the reason for. They have shared in the spiritual things. You see that? What these Corinthians realize, what the Ephesians and the Thessalonians and the Bereans and the Philippians and all of these people who were Gentiles, and not very long ago, they were lost. But now they can see, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Once was blind, but now I see. They can do that. Why? Well, because the church in Jerusalem sent them some missionaries, preached the gospel to them, and God did the rest. And they understood that. That they are what they are, and they have what they have, all by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they have been so richly blessed, if they have been made partakers in the spiritual blessings, and they sit in the heavenly places in Christ, and they have been justified, and they are being sanctified, and they have been regenerated, and they have been renewed, and they have been changed, if they have been led to repent, if they have been led to believe, and all of this is the result of the preaching of the Word in the church. Well, Paul says, they're pleased. They're pleased to do so. There's your fifth principle of Christian giving. It flows from the motive. It flows from the reason why we give. It's because we have been made to partake in Christ. Whatever it is that you give is the expression of that. And for some of us, we're in financial situations where it's not a lot. But whatever it is, it's saying, I'm pleased to do this because of Christ. 
Well, we're going to wrap up there this morning, people of God, and I want us to walk away internalizing uh, these principles. I want us to walk away internalizing, uh, giving regularly, giving as individuals, giving proportionally as we have been blessed, understanding uh, the connection between my gift and the purpose of it, which is the maintenance of the ministry and the helping out of the impoverished. And finally, the great motive is because we have been made to partake of spiritual things. I want us to be internalizing and thinking about them. Because this is our calling as a missionary people to be a part of God using us to plant this church here is it requires us uh, to be committed uh, to the maintenance of the ministry and the care of the poor because that's what Jesus does through His church. He preaches the Word and He ministers mercy to those who are in need. May God help us to uh, hear His strong call through His Word this morning.